Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Not sure if you know already, but I offer six week and a hundred day coaching opportunities to work with me one-to-one each week. In these 50 minute sessions, I will be guided by your particular set of challenges and experiences and tailor a style of support that suits your life, your needs, but also covering many of the basics that you expect in sobriety. You will learn about why you drink, why it's hard to stop drinking, what you need to do to succeed, the science around cravings, poor sleep, managing your thoughts, and finally, powerful tools like reframing, taking back your power, implementing boundaries, and building self-confidence. In the 100 days coaching, you also get WhatsApp access with me directly for any urgent or general support outside of the sessions. Here's what Sarah says about the 100 days coaching with me. What have you gained from coaching with me? So much. I can't even begin to tell you what an amazing journey this has been. I have gained insight. It's probably been the biggest thing and how to cope, coping mechanisms, strategies. The biggest thing I've learned has been learning how to reframe, reframing situation, reframing what to do. You know, if those thoughts pop up, I did come to you obviously a little bit destroyed or more than destroyed and on the floor, but I knew that I had it in me to do it and with your help and insights and strategies and what homework you gave me just made it so much easier and normalised it as well. If I had an issue with something, you were there. It's so nice to hear that feedback and it's just such a privilege to help people to feel supported on this journey and to see people flourish after the 100 days is finished is a really, really wonderful feeling. So if you're interested in working with me for six weeks or 100 days, please go to the website www.sassysobermum.com slash coaching and you can send an inquiry from there or just contact me on Instagram or send me an email, whatever suits you the best. I usually open up my diary once a month to take on a new 100 day client. So let me know and we can see if we can get you booked in. Okay, let's jump into the episode. Hello, and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today, I'm talking to Natalia, and she's in Toronto, in Ontario, and she's 262 days sober at the time of this recording. So thank you so much for joining me, Natalia. You stepped in last minute for me as well. We only arranged this yesterday. <laughs> um, so yeah, so straight in for you, but thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. It's It, it was fate today. It was fate. We were talking, weren't we? You, you are <laughs> a big listener of the show, so that's it just makes it sweeter I think that yeah we have a you know we have people on the show that really love the show as well yeah so, yeah um, I'm fangirling a little bit I won't lie I hear <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. um well why don't we get to know you a little bit why don't you tell us a bit about who you are yeah sure so my name is uh Natalia like you said and 
Um, I live just outside of, of Toronto um, in, in a little suburb, and I've lived more or less in this area all my life. Um, I'm 31, uh, turning 32 uh, this year. Um, I live with my my husband. We've been we're just coming up on our first anniversary actually in March, so that's exciting. Um, and we've got a, a, a nice fluffy little doggy that we we love very much, and she's almost three. Um, I, I do, I work as, um, uh, in the field of HR. So that's been my career direction. And I really, really do like it. I did a little bit of a pivot some years ago and I kind of found myself here, but it's very, very much down my, my alley. And I, I really like it. I have, a, I work for a fantastic company now and I'm really happy and, <laughs> Um, in my spare time, I, I do a lot of baking. I really love to bake. That comes up in my story actually quite a bit. Um, we go, go to the gym, me and my husband go together. We do a lot of hikes, outdoor hikes with the dog. Um, and I spend a lot of time with my family and my eight month old niece. Um, baking. What a yeah. world that is. <laughs> I have just literally yesterday successfully baked my first sourdough loaf with my own sourdough starter that I've been loving. <laughs> that's, in, that's intense. I've I've scared away from the sourdough a bit. I'll do regular bread, but I have not dabbled in the sourdough yet. <laughs> yeah. It is like an art form, honestly. Yeah. You know, it, it is intense. That's a good word for it. But, oh, there's satisfaction when you get it mm-hmm. right. It's unbelievable. So I have that to look forward to for my lunch today. So I'm oh, beautiful. On my, on my sourdough. Um, uh, so it sounds like a lovely outdoor, wholesome life. You know, you're really happy in your career. I'm really interested in your story with alcohol because... Yeah, I, I reckon there must be some contrast there. So why don't we talk about your life with alcohol? Yeah, um, it's the best way I can describe it is that it was it was a very, very slow climb, but a steep drop. Um, I like that. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm 31 and I think... I don't hear this too often um, on, on the stories, but my my life with, with alcohol, my relationship with alcohol didn't really start until I was in my early to mid-20s. Yeah. Um, I wasn't particularly interested in alcohol as a young person. I didn't, I was a pretty quiet kid uh, socially and I had a small group of friends. Um, my family was very into drinking. Um, my dad, but it didn't really come into my real knowledge until later and later in life and later in family life. So it didn't really affect me too much as a child. Um, but I was, I was quiet. And I think I realized over time, I always thought I was this extroverted person and through sobriety, especially now I realized I'm quite the introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, and my happy place is, you know, very, very small groups and I don't really enjoy big crowds. And so it's, it's been very introspective to kind of look back because as a very young child, I think as early as I can remember, it's about eight years old, I had panic attacks. Um, you know, an eight year old having 
panic attacks is a little strange. And I carried that alone for a very long time. I had never really talked about it. I didn't know how to bring it up to my parents or, you know, to even describe what was happening. And it wasn't so much panic attacks in the sense of I can't breathe or I can't catch my breath because that's a bit of a common, I guess, version or interpretation. But I would have just this impending sense of doom and fear about something. Something would go wrong, whether it was a real item that was very small, but it would just bring me to my knees, um, you know, even as a child, which over time I found ways to cope with that. And I got much, it got much, much better in my adult life, um, but still under very, very heavy uh, stress uh, that, that does flare up, but it's, it's been pretty good. Um, but yeah, I was, I was a pretty, it's pretty awkward kid, I would say, <laughs> um, and introverted. And that kind of continued on into my adult life, but I could be an extrovert and turn it on if I had to. Mm. Um, and, and that I think is a bit of a part of where the alcohol kind of comes in later in life. So towards the end of high school, I had a few experiences with, you know, high school parties, one that was a bit much and but nothing, nothing too crazy. I really, truly didn't have an interest. Um, when I was in university, I was working at a gym at the time. I got very into fitness. I uh, went full force. And I think I didn't drink for about a period of two years, even then, which wasn't a big deal because I wasn't really interested anyway. Yeah. Um, so I was super into the working out and I even, I did a fitness competition and I did really well. It was really intense. It was like great accomplishment. So that was, that was great. And then I went back to school, um, while I was working part-time and I, and this is kind of where things in my life started to change. So I met a group of friends and they were very much into this nightlife lifestyle and, that was very new for me. And I felt, you know, kind of accepted by this group of people who I was not my friend group, especially in high school. So it was fun. And, you know, I was young and pretty and I was like going for it. And <laughs> I kind of got swept away a bit uh, in that. And even, even then, it never really spilled into the rest of my week. I was still maintaining this fit lifestyle, but I had consistent outings, um, on the weekends. Yeah. And where things actually took a turn was pretty much a, a relatively a short time ago. It's about five years ago. Um, which is a really short time, which I think is, it can really show you what alcohol can do to you in a very short period. You don't have to go years and years and years upon years of, of drinking to have some sort of negative relationship or have it affect you in a negative way. Mine was very short, I think, in comparison to a lot of people's stories. So it started a bit when my parents decided that they were going to split up. And at the time I was living with my family, um, my sister and I were both living with our parents and the, their relationship, my parents had been rocky for many years, so it didn't really come as a surprise, but the way that it happened was very quick. So it was like, we're splitting up, we're selling the house, find somewhere to live. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, it was intense. Um, so we had to get ready to sell the house and it was just me, my sister and my mom. And we had to gut 15 years worth of house in like a two week span. I was writing exams. I was in school. I was super stressed. People were coming to see the house. I couldn't stay at the house. I was, you know, bopping around friends' places. It was a very divided time for us, which is a bit sad now that I look back at it. Um, but, you know, we, we made it through. And that's kind of where my sister and I, I think, like trauma bonded a little bit uh, mm-hmm. because we would go out and get like the, the big bottles of wine and then, you know, drink it together while we're painting the house or painting a room or cleaning out an area. And, you know, we'd find out our old childhood diaries and we'd read them and it was funny. And it was, you know, a way to kind of make the situation a little bit lighter than it was. But I think I can almost pinpoint those, that period of my life as being when I started to use alcohol to regulate my emotions or support myself emotionally. Yeah. Um, using it when I felt that I, I, I was too upset or sad or stressed that I needed something to, to help. So I discovered a, a, a very handy emotional crutch, um, that, that, you know, turned out obviously not to be so handy, uh, later on. So the house sold, um, my sister found a place and then, um, my boyfriend at the time, who was now my husband, we decided to um, get a place together, which was great. Um, and my mom lived with us for a little while, um, which was fine. A little weird. <laughs> your first time living away from your parents and then your parents are still there. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit different, isn't it? <laughs> but I love my mom and, you know, it was obviously, it was a hard time. So we all, we all made it through and my husband is just like an absolute angel. I couldn't say enough good things about him. I don't think he ever once said, you know, this is weird or it's not working. And it was, it was kind of, you know, iffy sometimes, but he is such a saint. I mean, he just would never. And we have a great relationship today, like my mom and and his parents and him. So I feel really blessed. Um, But yeah, I threw the move, you know, you ha- you're moving, you're doing construction, friends are coming over, you do the whole beer thing and, you know, beer and pizza for helping your friends and, and whatnot. And then you have wine at dinner because you feel adult. And not long after that, that was about the summer of 2019. And then we all know what happened in 2020, uh, you know, dumpster fire and, and COVID hit. Uh, so I was working at the airlines at the time, which was a really tough place to be during COVID. Um, so my company did massive, massive uh, layoffs. Um, I stayed on until the company actually did shut down, but it was it was super hard. And I didn't manage the whole uh, staying at home thing too great and not being able to see your family and not being able to, you know, we, I don't know exactly how it might've been in the UK, but it got so far here that we couldn't even like go to the park. Um, which was, it's just wild, uh, to me. I mean, I think you, it didn't go so far that we couldn't be out during certain times, but I think someone got a ticket once for like throwing a ball around in the park with his kid (laughs) which I seem seem to remember a bit of that here I think we were probably for for a pocket of time early on I think we were probably similar I I, I think globally pretty much we just all shut down didn't we yeah remember here you could go you were allowed out once a day 
for like a 15 minute bit of exercise or something like that I mean it just it's it's bizarre now it's it's almost surreal to look back on and just to think that you weren't even allowed to do something as basic as go outside and get fresh air or do any you know bit of exercise without being questioned I mean we were like scared to you know get a ticket for get taking the soccer ball out it was just crazy so it, it was it was a very hard time for me like you know I I really secluded into my bubble I I thought that was my happy place because I'm pretty to myself but I found that that's kind of where if I allow myself too far to go you know by myself and push others away like that's a really dark place to be especially if you're you know feeling a little anxious or sad like you really don't actually want to just push everybody away and go Mm -hmm. into yourself but that's pretty much what I did uh after about a year uh, my company shut down and then I was off of work for a couple of months and I sort of took it as a little bit of of a break but it's it was it was not easy. Uh, my husband was still going physically to work every day. So he worked the, the entire time. He never, you know, w- was thankfully laid off or was also phys- going to work. So I was alone a lot and, um, you know, didn't have really anyone to talk to. So I, I found myself, you know, more and more often turning to the wine in the evenings or later in the afternoons and then it crept up a little bit earlier and then it would you know it turned into something that was just there when I was feeling a certain way to now every day and a good chunk of of the day and I would prefer to be alone so that I could do this instead of being with my husband or my family because then it would interfere um, so he would, you know, go out some evenings or he was, you know, working another job. And I feel really bad saying this, but I would almost per- like look forward to these evening moments where I was just alone for hours because I could just do this in peace and be on my couch and not have to worry about anyone, you know, being around. And not that he ever judged me I mean he never said a word there were times when he would come home from work and he would wash the dishes and he would make dinner and never once said a word to me I mean I think he probably recognized I was going through what I was going through but he is so supportive and kind of I came to this whole sobriety and all of these realizations a bit on my own and and naturally I I don't know if I would have responded well to someone telling me like hey you've got a problem (laughs) and and you know we 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 meshed very well that way and so I I thank him all the time like secretly I did tell him but I I do thank him privately for the support um that that he did give me and you know he never once judged me or in any way so so I, I did I did hide it quite well I mean no one I think really expected it of me so then when I did eventually announce that I didn't drink anymore everybody was super shocked but uh, sometime later in, in the summer of about 2021 was when my life changed a little bit. So I, I was camping with some friends, with my mm-hmm. husband and some friends, you know, we had been allowed to, to kind of go out and, and do stuff. So this was, I think the first weekend we were allowed to, to go out. So we went camping 
And I got a call from um, my half-brother. I've got a half-brother who's quite a bit older than me, and they live in Poland, uh, which is where my dad was at the time. So I rarely speak to my half-brother. You know, we had a somewhat of a relationship growing up, but not, you know, one that we would talk regularly or anything. So anyway, he calls me and he tells me that my dad is in the hospital. And I said, okay. So it turns, it turned out that he basically had succumbed to sepsis, which is like blood poisoning from a bacterial infection. So he had, uh, mistreated and untreated diabetes that had basically progressed over many years. Uh, and essentially, um, his, his foot was in such a bad state that it was poisoning the rest of his body. Uh, he had an injury, I think. And if, if anyone knows anything about, you know, diabetes, you gotta be real careful about, you know, having a cut or anything like that, especially on, on your feet where you might not be able to see or necessarily feel it. So it was so advanced, um, that it was essentially killing him and it would have, it would have killed him and it almost did. Um, and he fell in, he was living with his mother. So my grandmother, my mother at the time, and he fell in the home. She was trying to pick him up. I mean, she was like 92 at the time, I think. And so it was pretty rough. And the hospital came, she managed to call the hospital and they were basically telling him that if you do not amputate your leg, you are going to die which was wild and he was refusing the amputation. Um, so, you know, my brother called to basically tell me what the situation was that, listen, it, he doesn't want to do it and he's likely as a result, you know, going to, to die. So I just decided then and there that I'm going to, I'm going to go. So we, we left camping immediately. Like I packed up my stuff, got in the car, I booked a flight for the next day and I, I went over there. My sister joined about a week later. Um, my brother did try to dissuade me from coming with, for reasons that became clear afterwards. Um, but so I went to Poland and I fully went prepared to like bury my dad. Like this is it. I, I packed black clothes. I thought this is just what's going to happen. So my sister came about a week later. Once I had got there, he had actually eventually agreed to the surgery and he was in surgery when, when I had arrived. Um, so, you know, thankfully he, the surgery went well, he came out of surgery and then we kind of had a new problem, which was, well, you know, he can't really stay with my grandmother. He can't continue living there because he needs a lot of care. Can't bring him to Canada, um, in the state that he's in. So, my sister and I had kind of just scrambled to find somewhere for him to be in the meantime, because the hospital was like, you can't stay here. It's, it's not, you know, you can't just be here for however long you want. So it was a really tough time. I mean, medical and legal jargon is hard enough in English and forget about another language, which I, I do speak it and we're fluent, but it's, so hard to navigate a system that you know nothing about. And it's very, very different over there than it is here. I mean, it's hard enough anywhere <laughs> when you don't know what you're doing. Um, so we did manage to, to find him, um, some care and it was, 
this huge relief. Um, and, you know, once we basically did that, things really changed with my half brother. I won't really go into why out of respect for my family, but basically he just did something terrible and made the whole situation really, really tough. And you would think that the worst thing was dealing with my father almost dying, but it, it wasn't. Um, so I got a phone call from him and it was, uh, it's a very defining moment in my life. I don't think I'll ever quite get over it, but it was a very traumatizing phone call. And at that point I went into like a full blown panic attack, Like my sister had never seen anything like it. Um, and, and we really had to kind of just con continue. I mean, I didn't sleep at all that night and I had to get up the next day and just act. I had to go do things. I had to see a lawyer. I had to figure things out. And it was so difficult to do that with, I mean, I could think of just nothing else when you just don't want to do the hard task, but you really don't have another choice. It was, it's helped me today, but it was a very tough time to, to go through, but it has made me, I will say very resilient today. I deal with hard situations very well now because I think my threshold is so high. Um, so we ended up figuring things out. Um, no, we do not speak to my brother. We've not heard from him from the, nobody has, and it's probably better this way, but we did end up figuring everything out. And throughout this whole time was alcohol. I mean, you, I would be out all day long and then I would come home and it was the earth to my, you know, the place I was staying with my aunt. And all we would do is just drink. It was, it made us feel better. I mean, it took the edge off the day. It took the stress off. And, yeah. and I, I really found that I wanted to do that at the end of every single day. And then sometimes throughout the day, because it was so stressful and it was the only thing that made it somewhat bearable. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, we sorted it out. I was there for about six weeks, which was, you know, very, I just up and left. I mean, my husband was here alone for, for six weeks and my, my sister stayed for a bit longer. So came back and, you know, Eric realized life's really short. So he proposed to me like a week later, <laughs> uh, it was, he was planning it. Yeah. It was really lovely. Um, so life, you know, it didn't go back to normal, but it did, it, it did, you know, get, improve and, and get better. My dad is fine and everything kind of settled, which was, which was great. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're planning this wedding and it, it, this is kind of where I start to, I guess, struggle a little bit because I'm doing something that's so wonderful and it's supposed to be this really happy time in my life. And I just find that the six months leading up to my wedding, which have nothing to do with my wedding, but were a very tough time for me emotionally and was a really, really hard point of my life of me trying to regulate my, my feelings and trying to, to, to find happiness because I was so deeply unhappy. Mm. And it, like I said, nothing to do with my marriage, but I think everything to do with, with the drinking and, and the alcohol um, around November of 2022, when we got married, March, 2023 is when I started to notice the effect on me mentally. 
um, you know, I did a lot of mental math all the time. Like, could I have this and could I have that? And before we go, do I, can, can I have a couple of drinks so people don't see how much I'm, I'm actually having? And it was just a terrible time. The mental math, I know we talk about it. I hear about it a lot and Oh, it's so exhausting. It's so exhausting. It's it is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, so I I started to get really very severe anxiety mm. to the point where it was almost debilitating um, in the morning. And it didn't really matter how much I had, but I would wake up with this jolt and have very, very severe intrusive thoughts kind of the best way I can describe it is that they were my brain was yelling at me over and over and over the same thing like it was like a siren I couldn't turn off and my heart would be racing and my stomach's in knots and all of these negative thoughts about myself you know you're 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 not doing good like things are terrible for you like your life is terrible like you're not a good person and it, it was like I, I, I did end up seeing a therapist who later described these as intrusive thoughts because I mean, I didn't really feel that way, but it was scary. I couldn't turn it off. Um, and I remember during this time I said to my husband, like, I feel like a shell of a human being. I feel like a shell of who I used to be. I thought like all my spark was gone. There was all these wonderful things about me that I loved like baking or you know, hiking and working out and doing all of these wonderful things that I haven't done in just years. And I, I attributed initially to just like the growing up, you know, things get hard and adulthood is hard and, you know, owning a home and li like living alone is difficult. And I just attributed feeling this way to natural life progression, which is not the case, obviously. Um, so I was very, very perpetually sad um, and anxious. And again, the only thing that really took the edge off uh, was, was alcohol. So I started to see a therapist. It wasn't really a good match, but I tried. Um, <laughs> and then I did, uh, in January of last year, I did like a 30-day sober uh, month with, I think it's, called a sober girl's guide on Instagram. I believe her name is, is Jessica. I can't, I can't quite recall now, but she does, does like this program. And so it's funny because I had signed up for it, like in um, the middle of like this anxiety pit too, in the morning, like I was like freaking out and I was like, I got to do something. So I did that and I did do the month. I completely white knuckled it. I mean, it was so difficult. I could not get through that month easily. I mean, at one point I was just sitting on the couch and I said, if I move, I'm going to get wine. So I just sat there for like six hours. Um, but I, I did do it. Uh, I'm grateful because I think it in some ways set me up for having a, a successful you know, wedding. I was very terrified of doing something at my wedding that was going to be embarrassing or drink too much. Um, so I think in, in a lot of ways it, 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 it really did help. And it was probably the start of what ended up really being my, my sobriety. 
Um, so I went right back to drinking afterwards, you know, all the wedding planning and whatnot, but I'm very grateful because my wedding was fine and everything was okay. You know, I, I, I was drinking, but it wasn't to excess. So that was, that was great. Um, and then really after that, you know, we had our wedding, we had our honeymoon and sometime after that, I think I just had a moment where. I just, it all kind of came crashing down. It all came a bit to a head. Um, we went to my in-laws and we always, whenever we went there, it was kind of like a boozy affair. I mean, it didn't really matter if it was a weekday or a weekend, um, which is funny now because now that me and my husband don't drink, none of them really drink. <laughs> I mean, we hardly have any alcohol when we go there. I don't see them really having any so I start to think like it wasn't us. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, was it really a, like a that the events were these boozy things or was it me, you know, doing this thing? And then it created an environment by which I thought it was something else causing it when really it, I the reality is that it wasn't like that, which has been a huge realization. Um, so. Anyway, we went there and my father-in-law makes this like famous sangria and I just, I don't know really what happened. Well, I know what happened. I remember it, but I had far too much and it was like a beautiful summer day. I mean, there was no reason to go that hard. And I just found myself, you know, drink after drink after drink. I just, and it was, there was only, you know, five of us and I just, the, the shame that I felt the next morning, it ripped me out of bed. I mean, I couldn't even lay there. I was so embarrassed that I had acted in like a foolish way. And then my husband later told me, he's like, you acted normal. I mean, it was a totally fine evening. But from my perspective and my mind, it was like a train wreck. <laughs> um, and so I, I'm in the kitchen and... You know, I'm thinking about my life and, and what I want. And my sister was very pregnant at the time um, and she was due to give birth in about like a month. And I was just thinking, like, if I ever babysitting, you know, I wouldn't tr trust me. Like if there was an emergency, I don't know if I could drive my niece to the hospital. I don't you know, I can't, I can't do anything like I can't I can't be that person that they need me to be or that she's going to need me to be you know, let alone, I was so far from even having my own family. I was like, I cannot possibly have a child or care for a child feeling the way that I feel about myself and my life and feeling so uh, dim about the future. I mean, I, it was, it was very, it was very dark. Um, so I, I go to the kitchen <laughs> and I open the freezer and I see, this is so silly, I see this frozen, or I think it's the fridge, a, a piece of like frozen uh, dog treat dough that I had made like months before, maybe even a year before. And it was just sitting in, in the freezer. And I'm like, I looked at it and I said, like, how, what kind of a person am, am I like, that I can't even be bothered to take 30 minutes out of my day to roll out and bake these treats for my dog that I love. 
<laughs> after a year's time, I couldn't find 30 minutes to do something that brings my dog so much joy. And like I said, it's so silly. But so I'm like, I take this dough out. I'm sobbing over it as I'm rolling it out on the counter. My husband gets up and he's like, oh my goodness, what is happening here? And, you know, it's just, you know, what kind of a dog owner am I that I can't do something so basic? Like, why didn't I care? Why couldn't I do simple things for the ones that I loved? And that's kind of where it all kind of tumbled all together. And then my sister's pregnancy really came to a head. And I just knew that I would not be able to give my life in any way to a family if I did not get this under control. So it really dawned on me that it was, I could see the future in that moment as I'm crying over this dog treat dough that <laughs> I could either have a family and have children and have friends and hobbies and joy and excitement, or I could have alcohol. Yeah. And that was the moment. And then I went on to make like, I think like, four or five cookies and cinnamon rolls that day. I mean, it just went off, but that, that was the day. And that was June 4th last year. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. That's such a, such a roller coaster. that story. <laughs> feeling emotional towards the end there. Like this bloody dog dough. <laughs> just the straw that broke the camel's back. And I think... As an ex-big drinker, I just relate to you so much. I just relate to that moment so much that you went through um, when you woke up with that crippling shame and people saying, no, actually, you, you know, you were just normal. Mm -hmm. I had my last night as well. No, you were fine, Terry, you were fine. But I don't know what happened because when I woke up that morning, something had changed and it was really, really dark as yeah. well you know the way that you describe it really takes me back to that moment yeah. too for yeah. myself but you know you 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 describe your journey really well you know you. You, you, know, you do you, you you articulate it really clearly and you said you said something about the the thing that takes the edge off you know which again I, I totally understand how we get to that place where we rely on alcohol to chemically and immediately change our state of mind because we can't cope with whatever is in front of us and that's why most of us do Overdrink for that reason but it you know it was almost like the thing that takes the edge off is the is the very thing that's exacerbating the problem yes so yes crazy that cycle that thing that we believe genuinely at the time as well we believe is helping us is actually the hand that's pushing us deeper into the world yeah. and it is it's such a it happened, I mean, so subtly. I, I never really noticed when it really switched from being something that was fun and helped because, you know, I ha it did technically help. Otherwise, I wouldn't have kept up with it. But from when it switched to that, to this complete and total need and want for it I, I and it was such a short period of time I mean I cannot imagine if this went on for any 
a moments more for me. I mean, I cannot imagine if it went on for, for years more for me. I mean, I really don't think I would have really any quality of life if life at all, to be honest, I, it was, it's a, it was very, very dark. And to come out of that and feel as positively as I do now is the best. Oh, you've done so well. It's such an achievement though. And it does give birth to this very, very expansive gratitude for life. I think when you go through something like that, I know I certainly feel so grateful every day that I'm... Yeah, I didn't expect to get so emotional, but I had a frog <laughs> in my throat the whole time I was yeah. speaking. <laughs> speaking of me, I'm, I'm having a bit of a tear, so don't worry, we can do it together because it's so powerful, isn't it? It's so... It's overwhelming that the decision to just stop drinking, it doesn't just course correct your life in terms of it stop tumbling down in the wrong direction but it it brings a beauty with it as well and I think that's the thing that creates so much emotion is just that you do get perspective it is something to feel so proud of and I think that when you stop drinking and you get a really good amount of time under your belt I mean you're you know 262 days it's amazing you will soon be coming up to a year which is wild oh my gosh even this time last year if you had told me that I would feel this way I could not have physically believed you I mean it's the 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 switch happened in my brain something with that dough (laughs) that morning and it clicked it clicked so hard and so well that any other previous time that I had attempted to kind of stop and I was white knuckling it. I mean, I was on a different playing field at this point and it just took some time to get there. And it's, it's even funny kind of coming on the podcast and and talking about, you know, what my story was because there are people around me very close to me, even family who just do not understand this part of my life at all and all people really hear when I say I've stopped drinking is you must have had a really serious problem there must have been something really wrong with you and for you to to have to make this drastic decision and on the one hand yes you know it was very difficult for me but on the you know the other perspective is that you don't have to go years and years of suffering to justify stopping the drinking it can be something that takes you down over a period of three four five years or you just it's not serving you and the realization is what kind of sparked that change like this is really not serving me I mean I am not who I used to be and it's not life circumstances that are causing this it's the alcohol yeah it's the coping me- it's almost the coping mechanism around trying to cope with the life circumstances yeah. yes that is that is, is the problem but here's where I find this whole concept bizarre right is that people 
usually drinkers will judge me for not drinking how do you have fun or what, what, whatever the whatever the remarks are but when you break it down into its basic components alcohol is poison yeah. and socially it has become very acceptable uh, to drink it and the elephant in the room is well why is it okay for you to drink and for me to not drink you know, mm-hmm. surely the psychology should we should flip that totally on, on its back, and it's not. You don't have a problem because you want to stop drinking a poisonous mm-hmm. class one carcinogenic liquid. Surely the problem is drinking that liquid, whatever, every week, every other day, every day, mm-hmm. once a month, binge drinking, whatever your situation with alcohol is. So I just find it still it. It blows my mind that people who stop drinking, because they are brave enough to say, hang on a minute, this is not serving me, or this is getting wildly out of control, or do you know what? I am fed up of feeling like shit on Sunday morning. Whatever the reasons are, I don't understand why that there is so much disdain for that decision, and yet... It's okay for people to live for Friday, drink all weekend, you know, under the guise of having fun. I just find that bizarre. I wonder, a little bit like the smoking story, I wonder if in 10, 20, 50 years, whether people, or even 100 years down the line, people will look back and just be like, God, what were those people doing? (laughs) It's absolutely crazy that people were drinking so much. and It's completely backwards. Yeah, it is completely backwards. backwards. And I, I notice it everywhere now. I mean, especially in the beginning of sobriety, but in every movie, you know, you have these gorgeous people chain smoking and, you know, downing drinks back to back. And I'm like, you could not still look like that after an evening of that like that's just like that this is not reality and it it doesn't show reality obviously but in any of these commercials I mean that's not what it's like and it might be like that for your first half an hour but that's not how it ends and that's it's just it's so not real and it's it's almost perverse the way that it's displayed and marketed it still kind of gets me now and again, like I'll see an old movie and the appeal is almost still there. And then I kind of, you know, snap out of it and I see it for what it is. But it's so powerful that even me knowing what I know and being where I am, it's it's still it still gets me. Yeah, it does. <laughs> because it's been so over glamorized. I mean, it, it, yeah. it, like you say, it has been so over glamorized. I, I watched a film last year with my she would have been nine at the time nine-year-old and it's I can't remember it's it's it's, it's quite a new film about Cruella Deville when she's younger mm-hmm. I can't remember what it's called now but I was really enjoying this film it's quite dark but quite interesting it's obviously aimed at tweens and teenagers and halfway through Cruella has a bit of a mini breakdown and to get her creativity, to unleash her creativity, oh. she starts drinking, she starts drinking rum or gin or whiskey oh from the goodness. bottle all night, and then making her best work or creating yeah. 
my stresses and I was absolutely furious just thinking what can't who agreed to put this into a film that's marketed at kids that are 10 11 12 13 the messaging there that actually you need to get drunk and drink all night through the night to create I just I mean call me uptight I'm oh no no I'm so tight I just that really infuriates me yeah that you have to go that far to unleash your inner creativity or that naturally to me it's got to be booze that encourage that you know drunken words or sober thoughts and all of this like I'm sorry no (laughs) this you are that is not true at all I mean maybe to some degree like but that you are you are not the same person when you remove all of your basic cognitive functioning and your inhibitions and the things that make you you and human you wipe all that away you are not the same person yeah 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 crazy what do you do um then to help yourself so obviously you had already had a bit of exposure um, in your kind of more sober, curious phase, and you did the 30 days, what tools, you know, after you made all of that, you did all that baking and you got <laughs> some of that, that creativity out, what did you do to support yourself in the first few months of being sober? Um, I, I really, I threw myself in. So, you know, people kind of talk about like the pink cloud my pink cloud was amazing. It was like three months long. It was the best. I was ecstatic. I felt like I could take on the world. It was just amazing. Um, I, I threw myself into it. I cleared my, anything within my radius of influence that was not supporting sobriety was out. Um, which included, people with whom I associated where drinking was a big part of what actually tied me to them. And that's a bit of a hard one because you realize some, I think a lot of people go through this with some friends that you don't have anything in common. And the only reason that I had enjoyed time with certain groups was because it was fueled with alcohol and it made it, you know, inverted commas or quote unquote enjoyable, (laughs) which I don't even think it was very enjoyable. So I I really, you know, intentionally kind of took breaks from people that just inherently I knew could not support what I was doing and wouldn't understand it. And those things then naturally took their course, which is completely fine because when that happens, you also retain all the people that do support you and you, you know, you bring in, people who want to help and want to listen. And so I've got such a tight little group of beautiful people that know and understand and support. And I can really share as openly as I've shared here. So that's, that's amazing. So I really just cleared everything out. My Instagram was full of accounts that glorified drinking and made it funny and all that. So everything went all of it I mean I went on like an unfollow spree and then a refollow spree because I looked for all the sober stuff and so now all I see if I look on my phone is things that support what I'm doing that's how I found your account I found your account pre my sobriety actually 
And I remember listening to one of my first podcasts. I want to say it was in September and then I didn't get sober until June. So quite some time before. And I, I had such a hard time understanding and relating to whoever was speaking. So I kind of left a little bit and then I came back and I listened to it, you know, almost, I, I might even say too much, <laughs> um, but it's been, a, it's been awesome. Like, I love this show and this podcast. I even have a favorite episode. That's how many times I've listened to I, when you took a break. From October to January, I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> so I went back and I like just re-listened from the beginning. Um, oh, you know, wow. I found other podcasts as well, but I really identified with yours. I like the structure and I really like, you know, how you speak with people. So that that was a big thing. I read a lot of Quitlet. Um, I had a podcast on if there was... Anything that I was doing, walking the dog, I baked a lot and I still do. I love baking. It's so fun, which I did it a lot as a teenager. So it's so wonderful to come back to this hobby and then have such a cathartic experience with it as well. <laughs> um, you know, and, and yeah, I really focused on the things that supported me. And my husband has been phenomenal. He's actually two weeks sober behind me. Oh, so he joined he went um, he t- did the change as well almost in meet like after I did and it, it's been fantastic to talk about it together and to to speak about it and even this experience here I mean I remember first messaging you and I was almost hesitant but when I did, I knew like this was it. Like I'm not going to send Terry a message unless I know that I'm committed and I've and I've changed. And I did, and I have, and now I'm here. And it's crazy that 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 we're here now. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's the, I just think that you know the good things just keep showing up on this journey. I don't know if it's been like that for you, but it just feels like the further in you go. It, it it I don't know, it just kind of really manifests and loads of good things start to come up. And I remember it keeps getting better. It does. It keeps getting better, but also lots of opportunities would just sort of pop up and I think, God, that's a coincidence, but but brilliant, you know, and I, I had that feeling a lot and I still get that feeling now, which which is awesome. Um that really makes me laugh about <laughs> saying that you really miss the podcast. I say to my husband all the time, I feel so bad for all the people out there that are really missing it. That's okay. You had you had a good arsenal of it of of they kept me going. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's 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 hard to take breaks. Um, but you know, you have to, don't you? But course, I, yeah. I love that you went back and listened to them again. I gave that advice to a few people actually, because I think it's like a film, isn't it? You go back and watch something and you, you, you don't remember stuff and, and it's yeah. Just- or you hear something new and, you know, and it, it like, I, I, I found a lot of podcasts. I mean, I really went into the kind of down the rabbit hole and I, I love all the kind of science and, and that now, like the first little bit was very much about the initial kind of stories. And then I, I sort of flipped over to the science, which was very helpful and super informative. And I think kind of just layered on the next piece for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, it was, and I still, I still love it. Like I really look forward to when the new ones are released. Um, albeit maybe less feverishly than before. Yeah. And and it will be so weird when you get to listen to your own. I know. I'm like, ah, I I always cringe when I hear my own voice. So, um, I was, I was trying to like speak softly, but I was like, ah, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. Oh, I think you come across amazing. Yeah, you're you're really articulate. You 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 explain your self really well, really clearly. Um, what would you say has been the difficult side for you, or what's been the toughest bit? Um, this one's a little bit of like a, a funny answer. I thought about this a, a lot, and it's going to sound cliche but getting here was the hardest part um it is such a journey and it can take very long but the whole the whole part where you think you might be struggling is where you are changing and so going through all of this and feeling like you've either you know fallen off the wagon like you're that means you're on the road you know and and so just being able to kind of continue even when I thought things were at their worst I see now that I was actually every time you know a step closer to what I actually was 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 wanting so so that was really what I think the hardest part is being able to kind of persevere and just know that better times are coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and another, you know, big part was, was the emotional work. Um, once my glorious pink cloud had worn off, um, because it does, you know, I had thought that, Hey, like my anxiety has gone, you know, my stress is gone. And it, it really, really was. I mean, it was cut at the knees when I removed alcohol. I can't even believe to the extent of how much of a difference removing alcohol took away my anxiety and my stress and increased my ability to deal with problems. Uh, Previous, like a simple, small little issue would knock me to my knees. And now I have a very calm, articulate, logical way of thinking that helps me deal with problems. Um, So being, you know, going through the emotional work afterward and having to relearn a decade's worth of problem solving and stress management um, was very hard, but my my kind of experiences with my my father and then you know going through sobriety have taught me how to cope in a way that I never thought I could. I feel so confident today that I can tackle any problem that comes at me it feels like a superpower, yeah. but it was, it was hard. The emotional part is hard because you're like, oh my gosh, I have to deal with this. Mm. And you, and you have to relearn how mm. to do it and sit with it and stew with these emotions. And then, you know, once they settle, you've got to compartmentalize them and then address them one by one. And it's come it's in this whole new mental math almost. Okay. We've done this. We've done this. We've done this. So yeah that's that's probably one of the two big ones getting there and then the emotional work yeah 
<laughs> yeah, the, the emotional work is a big one, isn't it? And it's, 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 I found it quite a strange journey because you don't know how to deal with it until you just start going through it. Yeah. Almost coming out the other side and knowing that you're still standing, you're still here, yeah. you survived. And then being able to reflect on, okay, well, you know, maybe I could have done that a little bit differently next time mm-hmm. thinking next time I'll try and remember that sort of thing and it, it is literally that basic isn't it I think sometimes mm-hmm. in the early days you just want a manual of right how do you cope with things <laughs> but, but actually it's so much more simple than that it's just about going through the things trying to feel what you're feeling being able to if you can pause and make good decisions which you know are kind of based on feeling I think in the moment accepting that you won't get them always right and just trying to glide through it in a weird way or not glide that makes it sound easy but trying to get (laughs) through it and then when you come through the other side it's almost that realization of okay when everything's still the, the world's still turning yeah I mean life is a pretty resilient thing it turns out and it it will, it will get better and you will make it through and you can either, you know, get dragged through, which is what I was doing with alcohol, or I can walk through it and at least take a part of that journey and learn something along the way. And it all over the last eight months has just stacked on top of one another. And I feel, I feel like myself again. I feel like a capable human being, adult, like, no, it wasn't life that was difficult. That was making me sad. It wasn't those things. And I have a whole new way of, of living now and like a positive outlook on life that I didn't think I was going to ever have. I mean, it's fantastic. You, you build these little, I forget the term you referred to them. Um, when you go through things and you, Add them to your evidence box. Was that it? Yeah. Evidence cup. Yeah. Evidence, <laughs> evidence cup. Yeah. It could be a box, though. Yeah. A box. I think mine's. I got a. I got a box. I got a big box now. <laughs> yeah, and they and every time you add something to the evidence cup, as well, like coping with some type of challenge or a difficult piece of news or having FOMO and just telling yourself that it's okay and I don't know taking a bath going to bed Mm -hmm. early um having a walk reading a bit of a book baking a cake you know whatever it is that you do to help yourself self-soothe and get through those moments it does give a big big bit to the evidence it gives a big bit to the evidence cup and then that in turn gives you a boost in confidence because it's Mm -hmm. like okay, I can do this. The more that cup fills, the more confident you become in really thriving in sobriety. And, and, you know, it's, I think that's the thing when you come into this journey in the beginning, because of all of the social conditioning and the glamorization of alcohol, it's so easy to think that that's it. Life's over. (laughs) Yeah. Remember thinking that, remember thinking life. (laughs) But it's, but it's not, it's, it's not to sound too cheesy, but it is just beginning. 
you know yes god you are here thank god i got there and you got there and the people listen to this podcast you know get there or have got there too um because it is just the door to lots of dip opportunities and and growth um mm-hmm. and so on that kind of more positive note what's been the biggest gain for you i have given myself my life back i am who i used to be which is unreal. I can be a better wife. I can be a better sister. I can be a better daughter. I can be a better aunt. I can be a better friend. I could potentially, you know, I foresee motherhood at some point now, which is amazing because I didn't think that I could get there being how I was and feeling how I felt. So alcohol took all of that from me and I took it all back. Oh, that's so powerful. (laughs) She was so proud of herself. I I love that. It does. It robs you of everything. Um, Yes. I thought it gave me everything, but it took everything. Yeah. And you can't, you just can't always see that, I think, when you're in it. And that's the challenging part, isn't it? But inside, inside uh, deep intuition, I think we know that it's not good for us. And we're fortunate because we listen to that voice, for you, it was a screamy, shouty voice. <laughs> it, but for me, it was also a, uh, quite often a dark, self-hating voice yes. that yes. just pulled me apart and made me feel so anxious. And mm-hmm. it's just like, I never get that now. I never yeah. get that type of internal dialogue happening Never. If I catch Isn't myself, it amazing that your subconscious is. is so much happier? It is. It is happier <laughs> to the point it makes me laugh because I just won't hear a bad word about myself. <laughs> my husband just say, oh, you know, and, you know, sometimes if we have a disagreement, you know how you do in relationships. So we have a disagreement and, and he'll say, oh, but maybe you can't do that. Or something. I go, but I can. I <laughs> yeah. absolutely can. And okay. I don't need anyone to tell me that, I, you know, so I think it's quite funny. He, he, he kind of um, doesn't have the same sense of deep internal sort of self validation mm-hmm. that, that I've that I've got. I think, like what you said, that I've developed only by going through this journey. Yes, and I don't think I would have that same sense of deep self validation had I not overdrank and had to get. Yeah. Some- and deal with all the stuff that comes with that yeah uh, so we joke about that because he says god you I never met anyone that backs himself like you do <laughs> absolutely you just you gotta reach it forces you to reach in and reconnect with this previous version of yourself and make new you know connections with with your with yourself like it is such a internal journey and it's magical when you come out that other side and you're like, oh my gosh, I can do this. I feel strong and confident and capable. And I know that no matter what comes my way, I'm going to, I'm going to take it and I'm going to come out the other side. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) Oh, just make it. Yeah. Almost make my hair stand on end. It's just so powerful, isn't it? Um, what would you say your top three tips for getting sober or, or getting through those early days? 
Um, my, my first one is to, to be very, very gentle with yourself. Um, you know, again, don't get discouraged if you fall off the wagon, if you will, because like I said, it just means you're on the road. Um, everyone's path is different. Um, and you're already on that journey if you're falling off a wagon. So that means you've already started and whether you, feel like you do a little bit and it's very hard. Like my th first 30 days was so difficult, absolute white knuckling. There will come a moment where something changes and whether that's like for me, almost like six months later, whether that's a year later, years later, there, there will come a time when that changes and you will not feel that way anymore. It is not going to be that hard. It's going to be relatively easy and, and the hard part will then be, you know, the internal work that you've got to do and, and the other sort of things you have to address. But it is not always going to feel hard to abstain. It, it really, truly isn't. I can think my worst nightmare now would be to have a drink. Like, I can think of nothing more horrific than if I had had to go through a hangover. I mean, that's just, I, I, there's nothing in this world that would make me pick up a drink again. Really, truly nothing. Yeah. And that's... Never thought I would say that. So the first one is don't get discouraged. Um, the second one is um, surround yourself with people and things that are going to support you. And don't feel bad about removing things that, that do not support you. Like I said, I had unfollowed every single account that glorified alcohol in any way, shape or form. I followed all of these amazing accounts, um, yours, of course, included. Um and just surround yourself as deeply as you can and want to with, with this, uh, with this stuff, but Quitlet and podcasts. I mean, if I wasn't sleeping or working, I had a podcast on, I was driving, walking the dog, baking, um, which is such a fun thing. I mean, it's my husband loves it. Cause obviously he really benefits as does my dog. Um, but just, podcasts all the time and if you're feeling a little shaky put a podcast on it really helps remind yourself why you're doing this and what is waiting for you after you kind of ride the wave and and, and get to the end so really surround yourself um with similar people and things and and, and items that are going to support you remove the stuff that doesn't um, and then the last one that I have, I really thought about this one. Take your time with sharing. Um, don't feel that you have to be this sober influencer icon from day one, um, although you might get there. Um, the first couple of months and, and or weeks is, is hard and you'll go through a lot of challenges with, you know, trying to navigate this with yourself and your circle. Um, it's likely a change that you are also altering their reality, which is something I, I considered because you are no longer the, the same person. So you can expect perhaps a little bit of friction, but that's where the take your time sharing kind of helps with that because it keeps the pressure off completely. Um, I didn't announce to anyone that I had stopped drinking. All I said was that I'm taking a break from alcohol and that served me for like six months until people basically realized that I was really no longer drinking. And I never had to say or explain 
you know, why I just said, I'm taking a break. Like it just feels better right now. And everybody's like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Everyone's kind of done a break now and again. And so they get it and they don't really bother you. And then that just allowed me to do it without pressure completely until finally today I can just show up and confidently say, I don't drink. And now I can have these conversations. Whereas before I wasn't ready and I wasn't confident and I, I might've, you know, gotten irritated or angry or not wanted to have the conversation. So it really takes the pressure off to just, Oh, I'm just taking a break. And, and, and people really accept that. And, you know, after a while they'll just, they'll get it. <laughs> and then you can just show up and be like, I don't drink. And they're like, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause what, cause what do you follow? that up with but actually I took a break and I felt amazing and so I don't see any point in coming back I mean, yeah oh, what are people gonna say to that oh no no but just have a drink why are you taking a break no one's gonna say that people no. get it you know people and everyone more everyone more or less in my life I under like has done a break in some degree yes. um so it really it takes the edge off so t- yeah. this is this is actually the first time I'm openly talking about my sobriety with anyone other than my close group of friends oh I'm so honored (laughs) that's how ready I feel (laughs) yeah Yeah. amazing that's amazing and it must be it must feel very freeing and and, it's cathartic I was I was telling my husband this is going to be a cathartic experience and it is That's right. Yeah, that that's the word that comes up a lot actually when I click stop record. Most people say it was it was just really nice as well. I think it's nice to get the opportunity to say it all out loud in one big story format. Um, yeah, because this is your life, you know. And, and yeah, and I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of all the all the bits, and I'm I'm happy with who I am and where I'm going and what I'm doing. And if, if that helps anyone, yeah. then I have all the joy in the world. Yeah. That's nice. such a nice way to wrap up the conversation. <laughs> um, where can we find you? If you're open to sharing your journey, where can we, can we follow you? Yeah. So my, my Instagram is natattack. Uh, two A's in Nat and two K's in Attack. Um, Nat dot Attack. I don't. I don't share very much. Like I said, this is actually the first uh, time I'm really sharing my sobriety at all um, on a public forum. So I just went for it. <laughs> um, and yeah, my my Instagram is, is it's it's just a bit of a personal, you know, little little area. But I love to connect with other sober people and sober you know accounts and so I'm so happy to talk to anyone who thinks that they anything I said might have resonated and and would like to connect I the more the merrier oh that's so lovely and I'm sure there will be plenty of people (laughs) just people saying really loved the episode or well done you know congratulations it's it's funny because I have (laughs) I have pretend rehearsed some of this like over the last couple of months. <laughs> I pretended I would be on as I'm listening to one and I you know, it, it's, it's it's so silly but it was it helped, you know? So what whatever helps and I'm I had such a fun time today. 
Oh, that's so lovely. And you will not believe how many people tell me that they rehearse out loud. <laughs> they answer the questions when they hear it on the show, which I, I love. You know, I just obviously, as as the creator of the show, it, it mm-hmm. lights me up, to be honest, to have people like you coming on the show, sharing a story. Without people like you, it wouldn't exist. So I thank you for your openness and your bravery and yeah for sharing your story and your life so thank you so much um thank you too terry this has been so fun and i'm i'm so happy to have done this brilliant oh and thank you to everybody else until next time goodbye thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you're interested in being a guest please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.